This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Quaver Ed, a world leader in online elementary and middle school curricula. With over 15,000 partner schools, our family of programs includes general music, social and emotional learning, pre-K, and coming soon, health and wellness. We equip teachers, counselors, and administrators with evidence-based curricula, professional development, and fun-filled resources to engage today's students. There are students every single time who enter with different kinds of social and academic backgrounds and situations and personalities. And one of the things that almost every time occurs is that everybody lifts each other up. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. Hi everyone, this is Christy and today's episode will make you want to sing and dance because it's all about music, which is why we have some great bops in the background. Our guest, Michael Spencer, has been a music teacher for almost 18 years. The last eight years have been spent at PlaceBridge Academy in Denver Public Schools, working with early childhood through eighth grade. Michael has a contagious vision for how music can amplify learning in all classrooms, not just the music room and for how to impact school-wide climate, particularly cultural music. So let's jump in. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. I would love to hear you talk about your passion for music in terms of, of its applications in education, in terms of its access to different parts of the brain, how it enhances social-emotional well-being, how it accelerates learning and retention. I think it's pretty hard to, to quantify exactly what happens with each individual student, especially students from different cultural and experiential backgrounds. The school that I work at, we have a lot of refugee students who come through the refugee process Sometimes it's difficult. So using music and the arts as a therapeutic method in order to to bridge some of the social emotional connectors in order to get them to be able to feel more comfortable both with their education as well as acclimating into a new community, I think is something that's hard to quantify, but something that we see through performances and access to just music education in general, whether it be writing music, performing music, or just understanding music curriculum and having a chance to express it. And for me, with my background, my background is world music. I've been studying Afro-Cuban, West African, and Brazilian music for over 20 years and working and traveling as well to be able to share that in my profession as well with students, both from all different kinds of backgrounds and also students who are from our country here. And what I've found through that is that 
the connector of cultural music helps with that social, emotional, therapeutic kind of feeling a sense of community together in establishing those things, which then starts to connect to their ability to express in the language of music. A lot of times we focus so heavily on the English language, the literacy, the math, the science, and some of the tested subjects. But as a support to some of those subjects, music stands on its own as another language. I love that you called them tested subjects versus core subjects, because the arts definitely are core. You're making me think of, my husband is a professional musician and worked as a music therapist for many years, and he tells stories of working in cooperation and collaboration with the other therapists because somebody who has a brain injury or an illness of some kind may not be in a mental or emotional place to receive occupational therapy or some of the other kinds of therapies until he had a chance to work with them. And somehow music would do this magic thing of opening people up to new experiences and and helping them to open up to new learning. So there's no reason to believe that it doesn't do that for all of us and that it would be such an advantage to incorporate it across learning. You recently participated in Ed Curation's conference that we hosted last October, Committing to Anti-Racist Curriculum and Instruction. And that's how I met you and learned about your work. And your session was focused on the critical impact of cultural music in public education. And I'm wondering if you would say a little bit more about how you're defining cultural music. Because when I heard your title, I thought, well, isn't all music cultural in some way? So define that a little bit for us. I like to do is have my class define cultural music for the class. So for that specific group of students, cultural music may be very different than perhaps another group of students. What I mean by that is everybody comes to music from a different place. How I personally define it and my experience is music that's accessible to the community and can be found within the community on any given day and is participatory. So there's a lot of music around the world where if you walk down the street, you'll hear the same song that you may have heard a professional group play a few days before, but people are singing it and playing it on the street corner. Or it's a, it's a form of communication and interaction. And you may have some people playing some music and the interaction with the community is they dance to the music, their portion of that interaction. So it's, it's inviting of the community automatically is the way I feel cultural music is, is defined. It's, it's a consistent connector between members of the community to their musical traditions and to different musical aspects that are going on within that community. So instead of going and seeing someone on stage where we sit quietly and we watch, and those are musical experiences that are greatly appreciated, the community or cultural aspect is when we then get the community to participate. And why have you chosen to focus specifically on the genres and parts of the world and cultures that you focused on, Afro-Cuban music and the other ones that you mentioned? We have a fabulous director in Denver Public Schools of our music program, Amy Martinson. And one of the things she says a lot is music teachers teach what what they know and what their strengths are, what they bring to the table. And what that does is 
over the entire district, we have all these different professionals bringing in different aspects and specialties of music. And so for me, that was my path as a musician and learning music, world music. And then I went to Cuba, I studied in Cuba, and I brought that music back through my education at Berklee College of Music. I studied Afro-Latin, Afro-Caribbean music. There were several world music paths. I took that one focusing on West African, Brazilian, and mostly Cuban music. And so some of these threads are interwoven between all three West African, Afro-Cuban, and Afro-Brazilian traditions. Mm -hmm. You start to see that, that's where my background started and has led most specifically with Cuba. But then the density of those traditions has really struck me as this is really kind of a centerpiece of where you can develop some of these not only musical concepts, but cultural and almost anthropological concepts and then see them around the world as well. You have brought a lot of that experience and expertise to bear in creating your own music curriculum. It's a curriculum on Afro-Cuban folkloric music. It could probably be scaffolded for younger grades, but it's focused more on the four or five as a starting place all the way through college. I've developed a four or five, a six through eight, and a nine through 12 with kind of an, a university extension, shall we oh, say. Oh, got it. Okay. So the nine twelve is really, it's really information that you could present in college at a more rigorous level. But then there's all sorts of different connectors with musical concepts along the way that you can draw all the way back to fourth or fifth grade. My main idea in doing this is we don't have in music education, we have a lot of bits and pieces. So we have a lot of professional research that's been done in recordings tied to Western notation, not tied to some of the applicable forms that teachers use not tied to common lesson planning, which is sort of a form of its own that educators need to use in their different forms in schools. And so what I was trying to do is connect all of those dots together, really telling a story about where the music comes from and, and who's playing it and who, who is sharing it in those communities where it comes from. I was wondering about that. I mean, obviously, you created this curriculum because it is your passion and it's been your area of focus academically. But I'm, I was wondering if it was also because you felt like there was a hole in the resources Absolutely. that are available out there. There's okay. a lot of resources out there, but applying them to the music education profession has kind of been the, the gap. We'll be right back. This is Emily Hopkins from Quaver Ed. Our Quaver Music curriculum features cloud-based teaching resources and free student accounts. We support in-school, hybrid, and distance learning with easily built assignments, teacher video instruction and student submissions, and multi-device compatibility. Quaver Music. Advanced technology. Engaged students. Teacher-friendly. Seriously fun. You can connect to Quaver at edcuration.com. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. Type Quaver in the search bar and you'll be singing and dancing in no time. And now, back to our interview. Can you talk about some of the things that you're doing at your school to celebrate music and the arts and to kind of raise the profile of music? Well, 
The okay. pandemic has definitely made it a little bit. Yeah. Well, more. that's going to be my next question, but, but yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> to, to raise the profile and we're, we're doing our best as music educators. And like I said, we have a great district lead at Denver public schools and a lot of great music teachers that share a lot of information together at how best to get those musical resources to the students. Unfortunately for me, it's it's difficult with world music because world music is such a live in-person sharing experience. And what I've done over the years since I've been at PlaceBridge Academy in collaboration with the other music teacher, Christine Barlow, Michael has done amazing things with his music program, including a West African drum class for the last four years, bringing in dancers, drummers, and drum makers from around the world and customizing his program based on his student population. So we play traditional Ghanaian and Malayan, West African drum and Jembe Dundu music. And the reason why I did that instead of perhaps going in the Brazilian or Cuban direction was because we, our population of students, many of them are from Africa. And so the relatability was something that I think in the, in the beginning days was really important. And we have at PlaceBridge Academy historically had what we call an international night because our students and student communities are so diverse and come from hundreds of countries and language backgrounds. We celebrate that every year, usually in May. And we have people from all around the community come and have performances in different continents around the school. These are Michael's students performing at International Night. And since you can only hear the audio and not see the video, I want to describe them to you. They are the most beautifully diverse group of middle schoolers that you can imagine. Every shade, every size, all genders, sitting in a line and drumming together with huge smiles on their faces. It's a beautiful thing and music is magic. Do you have any tips for educators, music educators specifically right now in the middle of being forced into digital learning? Because music is such a hands-on thing. Well, I think one of the best things that we can do is rely on each other. I think, again, that's what we've tried to do within the music department and then just my colleagues at PlaceBridge Academy is try and share resources, share what's working with our students. And I think one of the things that it's difficult with music, but one of the things to be mindful of continuously during this pandemic is the student's level of comfort. I personally ask my students what platform works best for them. What I did in the past in the classroom when we were in school is I had them perform and we videotaped it. And so having them try to perform now over video is difficult because the comfort level with each student is a little bit different. So I tried to develop that rapport with my students to be able to get a comfort level on platforms that they feel most comfortable with. 
in order to produce video. And it's instead of as a class, as a group, a lot of it's individual. And so just adjusting and trying to get students as comfortable as possible. It's just finding that sweet spot to get everybody on the same page and engaging together. Thanks. I'm wondering also if you collaborate on any kind of regular basis with the tested subjects or with the other content areas in helping teachers to integrate music into that learning. And if you have any tips around how to integrate music into other content areas. We have a teacher who was hired this year. I think she was at Bradley last year, Meg Cypress, who I've been in conversation with about trying to develop just that. In the past, a lot of it's been around performance. And again, that's a live situation. So right now during the pandemic, it's a little more based on resources and trying to use some of the same platforms that we use in other subjects and trying to integrate ideas. But in a live setting, we've collaborated a lot, both with art for sets and costumes, Mm -hmm. and then getting teachers to to look at perhaps the, the focus of the performance, if it's a big show, what is the theme of the show, and then we can start to cross curriculum ideas if it you know touches on geography or these different facets of other curriculum in preparation for a concert. That's been something that I think has been pretty successful. And I've seen other music teachers and other schools do the same thing with the specialists and elective teachers be able to collaborate based on thematic ideas and then extrapolate that to the content. It can be a fairly successful thing. The kids really enjoy it. Michael's definitely understating the power here. I feel the need to share some statistics because while enjoyment is important, music is about so much more. A 2002 study by the College Entrance Examination Board found that students involved in school music programs scored 107 points higher on the SATs than students with no music participation. A Harris Interactive poll in 2006 found that schools with music programs have an estimated 93.3% attendance rate compared with the average of 84.9% attendance. So that's an 8% difference, which is not insignificant statistically. Graduation rates increased from 72.9% to 90.2%. That's almost an 18% increase. That's massive. And those numbers represent kids. One more success story from the Texas Commission on Drug and Alcohol Abuse. They found that secondary students who participate in vocal and instrumental music programs reported the lowest use of alcohol, tobacco, and illicit drugs. And that represented both current use and lifetime use. Somebody please tell me why music is still considered an elective. I asked Michael if he could share a success story of his own. First of all, I think... Every single time I'm able, especially when we're in the building, to be able to teach the West African drum class as in the format that I teach it, it's kind of more of a community class. There are students every single time who enter with different kinds of social and academic backgrounds and situations and personalities. And one of the things that almost every time occurs is that everybody lifts each other up. Mm -hmm. So even though there might be some social 
awkwardness because different groups of people hang out with other people or some academic variance as far as some kids are very academically sound and other students are really trying to be able to acclimate into the academics. They're able to bring that into one voice. And I think that's the power, perhaps, of what happens with music is that when we perform music together, we're all learning the same language. For me, was the coolest is I, these kids come in, they don't know anything. They don't know, they've never touched a drum before. They never understood drumming from a technical, musical standpoint. The first trimester that I taught was incredibly successful because those kids took that as something new, something fun. And then they were able to perform. I had them perform like a lot of West African concerts you see where the where the drummers will come into the into the crowd. I had them do that. I had them do all of it. And it wasn't perfect. It was it was probably far from perfect. But the, the fact that they grabbed it and really took off with it without any prior experience. None, no, a lot of them had no musical experience and performed at a level that, frankly, probably a lot of college ensembles, you know, very similar to that. And we're talking about seventh and eighth grade students. Okay. That for me, for students who really were probably yearning for something to grab onto, feel confident about and express, was really as satisfying for me and it was satisfying to see them do that. And I use that in the back of my mind whenever. You know, I hit a snag or, you know, we all, all of us teachers, you know, hit these moments where we're like, well, we should be somewhere. We should be further along than we are. Yeah, yeah. I think of those moments in order to keep me going. And when I see these kids, these kids are so, one of them, track star as at UNC. Another one went on to be, this girl went into the George IV program is in you know college a lot of really successful kids out of that probably would have been successful anyway but that experience really encapsulates what's possible every time kids who don't have never touched an instrument walk into a classroom what they can do i feel like you're really missing your students right now (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i see my students every day but i see them online yeah musically I would say musically, it, absolutely, I miss that. And I talk a lot to the other music teacher, Christine Barlow, and we, we feel the same. You know, there's, there's an energy about yeah. music, about the connection. And we will do our best during this period of time, but nothing can replace that feeling, that live interaction yeah. of music that these kids get the opportunity to express. This is just making me think about this phenomena that I have observed that I think is maybe not exclusively, but primarily a Western thing, where as we're growing up as kids, we're all artists, we're all singers, we're all dancers, we're all athletes, we get to do it all. And then there comes this dividing line that's usually in high school or maybe college that You either have the skill and potential to continue on and do that thing professionally, or you become an observer. You become an audience member, and that is no longer available to you. So there's very few adults who say, yes, I am a dancer. Yes, I am a musician. Yes, I am an artist, or I'm a writer, unless they're doing that thing professionally. 
they no longer associate their identity with it. And I feel like it's Western. I feel like it's our culture, our American culture that creates that dividing line. I don't feel like it exists in other parts of the world. And you've traveled a lot. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. So this is probably the biggest, larger 30,000 foot view of why I feel like this is so, what I'm trying to do is so important. Because like we said, cultural music can be a buzzword, but when put into practice almost subconsciously, it can serve as a way to say music is all of us. Music will always be all of us, whether you are listening to a certain kind of music and you just hang out with musicians, you don't play. It's always a part of the culture. I guess the dividing line that you speak of, albeit perhaps invisible, that we create is, I think, more about the systems we have in place and how those are interact with the accessibility to music as a part of our entire culture. And music, and I would say the arts fall directly into this as well, is that it's okay to play music your entire life, and so many people do, and be an accountant. Yeah. Music is innately cultural from day one, and I believe that just as humans, but we create these roadblocks, I think, in how systems are created, whether it be the educational system or different systems within our lives to create these dividers. And I think it's just a mentality. I think the difficulty in our country is that we have many parts of music that are cultural, but we also have such a diverse music that's accessible to everybody. And sometimes it's not always something that's an expectation of participation or an expectation of culture. And I think the more we celebrate those types of, of music and that contribution of the arts, the more people will start to see it as, this is part of my life regardless of what I, what I do. This is always gonna be part of my life, whether I'm you know, performing right now or not performing. You know, However my path leads, this is always going to be a part of me. And that's, that's what my hope is for the future of music education. And, you know, the other teacher at my school, and I say this all the time, you know, if I can just plant the seed so that somebody else can come back and play that instrument at any time of their life and appreciate it and connect maybe with a community band or any facet of that to connect on a cultural level with music is, is a win. And the mentality of the divider, the hope is that that starts to dissipate the more access people have to these different kinds of music. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I know that there will be some educators listening who will want to know probably where to find you and where to find your curriculum. So right now, they would just need to get directly in contact with me. I'm probably looking at January through March, having like hard copy things available. So oh, cool. We'll just directly get in contact with me mm-hmm. if you want either examples or more information okay. about the curriculum itself. Great. One last question. I'm just curious. I feel like we're going to come out of this pandemic with teachers having really raised their profile and level of stature and respect in 
society as a whole because people are realizing it's not an easy job now that they're having to do it themselves. But I'm wondering what is making you feel hopeful in education? We get a lot of press over the things that aren't working well, but what are we doing well? What we've always done well from my experience is that I have yet to meet an educator who does this for reasons other than the sharing of knowledge and wanting to increase the educational viability of our society in general. And there are a lot of nuances inside of that. Teachers need resources. Teachers need help. Teachers need to be able to make a living wage. And all of that's true. But one of the things I think people don't get into teaching for the money. They get into teaching for the sharing of knowledge. And that's one thing that I think will be accelerated going through this pandemic is because the tenacity and the perseverance of teachers to learn new things who have perhaps taught for 20 years a certain way need to completely do a 180 and teach completely differently. I don't mind technology myself, but there are several platforms I have learned that I have never seen before, and I continue to learn them. And it creates a, a need to be able to work together and collaborate. And I think, and my hope, is that the collaboration piece will be the win out of all of it, not just between teachers. Districts have to collaborate with the health department, health department, and the district needs to collaborate with the unions, and the unions need to tie up their membership really well to keep the communication honest and consistent. And I think those are some of the things that we will see as benefits in the future, either through negotiation at the high levels, all the way down to the teaching collaboration levels. I think collaboration mm -hmm. will be the thing that will win the day. Love that. Well, thank you so much. I know you need to get back to your students. It was such a pleasure to talk with you today, Michael. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to share this with our listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. A reminder to our listeners that today's episode is sponsored by Quaver Ed. Crystal Peters, a music teacher from Lexington, Kentucky, said, Quaver Music truly helped me ignite my students' learning and engagement to a new level using technology and interactive lessons. They love the program, and so do I. You can learn more about Quaver Music at Ed Curation. Simply click the Connect to Vendor button to learn about our free 30-day preview. You can find Michael Spencer's resources and contact information in the episode notes at Podbean. And you can find this and all of our episodes pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to share a hot topic or a favorite resource on the Ed Curation podcast, you can contact us through our website. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, subscribe, and share. Tune in in two weeks where we'll be hearing from author and researcher Dr. Aaron Griffin about best practices for diversity, equity, and inclusion. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Ed Curation Podcast, where we're reshaping learning.